We're human too, you know. Eyes, teeth, hands, blood. Exactly like you. There really isn't any telling you apart, is there? Absolutely identical in every respect. I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. There's always an alternate. Lily's the best choice. No, but she wants my role. Every dancer in the world wants your role. No, this is different. She's after me. She's trying to replace me. Nobody's after you. No, please believe me. Here at the Lucas Clinic, we strive to bring you closer to celebrity than ever before. With samples drawn directly from the source, you can be connected in ways you never imagined. Tell him you know me. You must know me. But this is Mr. Pellet. What do you want with him? I am Pellet. I am Pellet. This is uh, this is my friend Anna. She's she's also an actress. Have I seen you in anything? No, I would be surprised. Man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he'll tell you the truth. Back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. I thought you were going to call me Rebecca for a second. Oh. I was like, hey, Rebecca. But you said, we're back. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I had this really straight. Who am I? Oh my God. What? Like, what is this a dream? What's happening? <laughs> Amazing. How surreal. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. I think I'm like, I'm a little bit affected by the two films that we've been watching. <laughs> What's going on? I know. I can't believe we've arrived at our final episode in the double series. I know it's been a good series but like yeah I'm I'm excited to well after a little summer break I'm excited for a new one absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. for sure I feel like we're also coming back full circle because we started with a Cronenberg and we're finishing with a Cronenberg (gasps) oh my god that's beautiful yeah the the natural cycle that's father and son yeah the circle of life (laughs) the circle of life wow that's so poetic I didn't even realize that did you know that we'd done that until no I literally only realized it this morning yeah that's really cool so totally like a happy accident but also it is we're going to be talking obviously finishing off this series with transformation as the sub theme of the double but we've got two body horror movies as well Yes, we have. Um, so disgusting. <laughs> they are so disgusting. <laughs> yeah, they made me feel a bit faint. Like, it's Black Swan I'm used to because I've seen it enough times, but antiviral is still, like, I had to, um, like, cover my eyes and just look at the corner of the screen. Oh, like, all of, the, all of the needle bits are just oh, like, oh, my gosh. I do not like it. Seriously, it, it made me feel so squeamish. I mean, obviously, I'd seen it before, but I kind of forget. I think I repressed how much disgust I feel watching this movie so every time I rewatch it I'm like oh god you know yeah yeah it's like it's it's surprising it's like I don't know anyone who can like I mean I suppose maybe some films that I wouldn't watch like could make me feel like that but um (laughs) with Possessor as well like there's something about like that first way like they kind of like enter people like 
on like the top of their head or like the top back of their head and I'm already like I feel like that's a really sensitive area like I'm already (laughs) because you know it's where people bald and like when I watch people with like when I see people with like bald spots Mm. I'm always like oh no it must feel like I don't know like the idea of like losing hair like it makes my like skin hurt a little bit it's too exposed it's really exposed because like you can't see it it's like right on the back of your face exactly and so yeah I just like it was like and it was a couple of minutes into possessor that they started doing (laughs) stuff to the back of the head and I was like no 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 like I can't handle it yeah yeah he's really inherited his father's taste for body horror I mean definitely it would be so weird if he like made romantic comedies or something like (laughs) Of course, he has to be a horror director. That would be disturbing, you know? That would be kind of amazing. Uh, yeah. Just do one. <laughs> no, he's definitely continuing on with the family business. Um, and I'm so happy we finally going to, in this episode, talk about Black Swan. I know. It seems crazy that we haven't. I Absolutely know. crazy. Because that is it, such a projections podcast movie. It really is. And it's your favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. Um, and I think it's definitely like, I think it's maybe top on the list of best films of the 21st century. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, it is incredible. Yeah. Um, I don't have any kind of new theory to introduce uh, prior to the discussion, but I did want to, I think we kind of agreed we'd respond to a request from someone who wanted to know our reaction to the Zizek episode. Yes. Um, someone, so this is what we got that we got this tweet asking us if we could sort of react to that whole experience. And they said, would love to hear an exploration of how you both felt trying to interview a guy who went on an endless monologue, <laughs> entertaining and interesting as it was, as, as soon as you introduced him. Hmm. So I can kind of feel a little bit of like, maybe something unresolved there in, in, in that question. I mean, that's, it's, you know, perfectly valid question. Yeah. Um, I feel like the, the question asker maybe has their own idea of how we felt like yeah. <laughs> before we answer. Yeah, maybe. exactly. I mean, I almost want to kind of react to what it was like finding out that he was even going to come on the pod because it was so surreal. Yes. Um, I just felt like, you know what it was? It was the weirdest experience having listened to him for so many years to then go and edit that episode and like listen out for things to cut, but also hear him talking with us. Yeah. It was so crazy. It was like surreal. I mean, it was like, it was a very like positive experience talking to him because even, I mean, I think like, I don't think I've ever seen an interview with him where like the interviewer does really get much of a word in edgewise. Exactly. Like, so I don't feel like we did any differently to anyone else. No. Um, but uh, I definitely prior to the prior to the podcast recording, I had massive imposter syndrome. And I like my fear was like I was talking now going to be talking to two really clever people instead of oh the come usual on one. you can't be serious <laughs> no no I was serious I was just like I can't because I although like I don't you know I think I'm a clever person I don't I'm not very good at understanding like academia or like certain types of language or certain types of theory mm-hmm. um, so I was like a little bit worried that I would be lost um, but like. And so I just felt so much better as soon as we started recording. And mm. I was like, this is not going to be 
like it's not going to feel like that at all like because he just had this way of putting you totally at ease yeah and like he was just so friendly and even though um we didn't like get to ask very many questions I feel like he had read our questions that we'd sent him in advance and kind of like prepared like a monologue to answer them (laughs) without us like having to ask them so you know like within the first 30 minutes he'd answered like the top three questions you know he'd like started he'd like to use them as talking points and started to talk about them and yeah I didn't I kind of lost yeah and so like I felt like even though it wasn't maybe necessarily um like visible I just felt like really listened to and responded to and like on like a much more equal footing than I thought I would be so it was really nice to have like to be able to send a question and have them kind of taken seriously yes um so I thought yeah I thought he was like very I was I'm really grateful to him for being so nice about that you know Mm -hmm. because we asked him a mixture of like kind of like quite highbrow questions but also quite like um yeah poppy kind of questions yeah for sure and he didn't seem to like differentiate between those questions like he was interested in answering both of them um so he was engaged with what we had to say yeah definitely I think he was really fired up you know um he liked the kind of questions that we asked him and I think it's also I think a nice reprieve for him because normally people only ever want to talk about politics and stuff with him Mm -hmm. Uh, but but they forget that he's a a a really interesting thinker in the realm of cinema which is obviously how we you know approach him predominantly I I, I would have thought and so I think he felt happy to have an opportunity and a platform to kind of indulge a little bit in his love and celebration of cinema yeah I think that is what we wanted to give him for sure um and to give like the audience as well because you know we are a film podcast so yeah I I I, love that I love what you had to say and I think also one other thing is that it takes a lot I think for someone with such a high profile like Slavoj Žižek to feel comfortable enough to free associate the way he did with us yeah. And I think it says something about our approach with him and, you know, that we also made him feel comfortable enough to share things with us. And so, and we, you know, we were open to his stream of consciousness, you mm-hmm. know, and that we, we had respect for that and we showed enthusiasm for what he had to say. So he then in turn felt motivated or inspired enough to share the things he, he shared with us. And we got some really unique stuff from him. I mean, there I learned a lot from the things he had to say, things he hadn't said elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, same. Afterwards, I uh, did write a quick email, you know, a couple of days later after I edited it. And I just wanted to reassure him that the edit was fine. And I, I just wanted to thank him again for coming on. And it was a really cool experience. And he said, he responded and he said, uh, I am also grateful to you, and it was the it was the most beautiful talk I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know whether he really meant that. What a charmer. Like, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> He's certainly very charming, that's for sure. Um, but it's actually just nice that he even said that because because he gave a reason for that. He said because you both made me feel like I could say anything, and. Um, I didn't feel any tension to say what was expected of me. Amazing. And I really like that, you know, that actually that's what, that, that's how he 
then also responded to us that we, you know, we, we gave him that gift of the psychoanalytic experience in a way that he could just free associate. That actually makes me feel so good. Yeah. That's really nice. I hadn't heard that before. That's really lovely. That's really um, sweet. Because I think like, especially when it comes to like, you know, media, like, you know, the, what we're doing, podcasting or like mm-hmm. writing or, you know, I think I often feel like a pressure to to kind of live up to like maybe kind of male stereotype of like what a journalist is supposed to be like you know forceful opinions and like you know one story like one story one point of view like you know really kind of like decisively made and or to be like kind of the star interviewer that like makes these like great points in their questions but actually like I think the really good interviewers like you don't even see them doing their job like you know you don't notice them or like you know so yeah it really kind of that really makes me feel so much better about like the way that you know like we both choose to kind of go like you know to like go about things which is a lot more like letting people kind of blossom like or like letting people Mm -hmm. yeah express themselves Mm -hmm. um yeah so that's amazing that makes me feel great yeah that's such a nice feedback because as you say it's like we're not coming in with like a gotcha moment approach of interviewing someone or making someone feel put on the defensive or that they have to absolutely explain something, you know, Mm -hmm. we're kind of, we're sort of subtly communicating that this is uh, an experimental space where you can kind of, it's like a playground for ideas and you can, you can put stuff out there, you know, it's, there, there are, there are no limits here. You know, that's the Mm -hmm. idea at least that's how I've always felt talking about film with you in, in this space, you know? Same. So um, I'm really glad that that came across for him, you know? Yeah, so me too. That's it's a great. cool thing. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I also just want to read out something that you reminded me of, which is um, one of our listeners, Paulina Marino. Uh, she commented uh, and said to that original questioner you know on twitter she said psychoanalysis and good fiction teach us that life for everyone is an endless monologue unless we dare to genuinely love i think zizek truly loves what he talks about if you want diverse voices they inhabit his speech he was a guest and he was kindly accepted as he is yeah i loved that Oh, I love that. She is so wise. Like, I I love her replies to us. If she's listening, Paulina, thank you so much for, you know, your engagement on social media. It's so cool to read your feedback. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, I'm sure the original questioner didn't mean anything bad. No, no, of course. Um, Yeah. yeah, I, uh, I think, I hope it came across how nice it was, like how nice the conversation was. Because it really was like a very, I felt like bathed in friendliness. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. He was so funny. Like, look, if this philosophy thing doesn't work out, he has a future, very bright future in, com- in stand-up comedy. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, he pract- that's practically what he is, you know? For sure. He's a raconteur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope that um is a good response out there for people who wanted to know how we felt about it experience it's kind of a dream come true Mm. um okay so transformation so in this double series we've been looking at so many different ways of 
characters in storylines splitting or encountering a copy of themselves or you know just being tormented in so many different ways um that involves doubling Mm-hmm. And so it kind of it, it's hopefully we can kind of bring everything to a place of potential resolution with the possibility of the double in a tr- process of transformation. Yeah, um, I'm like I'm excited to talk about these films, but I'm also nervous because they're films I enjoy so much. I know that I feel like I maybe can't critique them or like can't analyze them. Because mm. I just like, I enjoy being along for the ride so much. I know. Um, so, but I know that you've, you've taught both these films, haven't you? I have, yeah. Okay, so I'm very much going to let you lead here. And mm-hmm. then I'll do some like um, stream of consciousness stuff. Like, Perfect. No, that's yeah. cool. Um, Which be, one would you like to start I, with? Well, I was thinking we could start with antiviral because I feel like Black Swan is so sublime yeah, that it ne- we need to end on that note. <laughs> okay, that's great. That's actually the order that I wrote the synopsis oh, in. Perfect. Um, shall I synopsize antiviral? Yes, please. Antiviral. Okay. Um, in a future world where celebrity meat, sicknesses, and skin grafts are commodities, Sid works for a company that harvests viruses from celebrities and sells them at high prices to their biggest fans. On the side, he steals the product by infecting his own body and sells the sicknesses on the black market. When the company's most valuable product, an actress named Hannah Geist, dies from a virus that Sid has self-injected, he finds himself in a dangerous position. Hmm. Yeah, perfect. Caleb Landry-Jones. Oh my god, he's amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> like, how could such a creature exist? He's like, so, he's like otherworldly, you know? He really is. Like, is he even human? He is so incredible. Yeah, he's totally amazing, like. Um, I mean, he's he's the brother in Get Out, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, um, he's like such much... a great horror actor. He's so good. I wonder what it would be like if you know. What I would love to see him in mm. Succession. Oh <gasps> yes, I think he would be like a really great like slimy businessman. Oh my god! Or that, like that's this, even giving me the, the child, the child of a millionaire. You yes. know, like he would be really good. He would be amazing. In fact, Absolutely. I wonder if they might have considered him for Kieran Culkin's role. Because Ooh. I think he could do that really well. Yes, he could. But like, obviously, me? Kieran Culkin does it so incredibly well. You can't imagine anyone else doing it. But like, I think oh, um, he would also Caleb be... Landry Jones has similar energy. There's something very creepy and like mm. insidious, isn't there? That would yeah, be perfect very. for su- Succession. Very. Oh. Like, I'm so excited for the third series of that. By the way. Oh, me too. <laughs> I cannot. Like, I can't wait. I I kind of almost want to rewatch season one and two because I feel like I forgot. <laughs> That's actually true. I watched it so slowly because I watched it with my flatmate. And you know, when you watch a series with someone, like you can't, it's really hard to watch it fast because you yeah. have to like wait until you're both available all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I watched it. I watched like the first two very slowly. So maybe I should like binge them quickly so I can remember what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Do my homework for season yeah. three. I don't know if it's, you can really binge it though because it's too unbearable. You have oh to my breaks. God, it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. But yeah, I mean, um, I have a really funny story about how I first saw this movie. Okay. So it was in the London Film Festival. I believe it was 2012. I was dying to see this movie in the festival. And I was working at BFI South Bank at the time. And I couldn't get any public screening tickets. They sold out like in a flash. So my only hope was the press screening. 
Now, I don't know why I was acting like I would never have a chance to see it again. Obviously, it would have just released later on or I would have caught the DVD, whatever. No, but you want to see the first screening. Like, I did really want to see the yeah. first screening. You know, and I thought I need to get into that press screening room. And there was such a huge queue outside. It was like NFT2. It was a tiny little room. Well, not that small, but, you know, it was a kind of medium screening room. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how the hell am I going to get in? Am I going to get in? Because most of these people in line are legitimate press, and I wasn't. I was just BFI staff, and they kept saying back of the line because you have to. We have to let the press in first. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and try and sneak in. So you know how NFT two is like. So you and I have recorded at BFI South Bank before. Remember when we recorded in the prayer room? Oh yeah. Remember, it was like we had to go through this weird door that was like not an obvious, you know, door. Yeah. And then we had to climb up some stairs. It was like dark. Anyway, past that prayer room, there is an alternate exit that leads downstairs to a secret door that goes into NFT2. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing! Like, well done as well. You've just told everyone how to sneak into NFT too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to have a um, a staff pass. Oh, okay, cool. So it's all like locked. But I went and snuck down and just opened the door, and magically there was like nobody in the screening room. I just went and sat, plopped myself right in the middle of the room, and people started coming in. Oh my God, that's amazing. You are so brave. I would never have like, I would never have been brave enough to do that. That's amazing. So that's what I did. And I have to say, I think it contributed to me even enjoying it more. Yeah, I, I can this, imagine. That's so cool. Sense of satisfaction, you know, that I had snuck in anyway. It was like a really euphoric moment. But so did you, when did you first see it? Did you see it at the cinema? No, I don't think I even had it on my radar in 2012. In 2012, I was like still watching like Paris, Texas and, mm. you know, like figuring out what like good film was. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think I even knew that there was a London Film Festival in 2012 or sure. like I wasn't or if I did know it was there, like I thought it was like some kind of I, I thought it was like a joke. Like, <laughs> no, like, that sounds so rude. But I was like, I know there's like Cannes, I know there's like Sundance, I know that there's these like festivals. Like, how can we possibly have a festival like that? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I didn't. I was like, no, like, like England can't have like a good film festival. And now I know that that's wrong. But at the time, I was just like, no, that doesn't that's, that that doesn't seem like a real thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think I probably saw it when it came on movie a few years ago um because movie like periodically has that so I've only ever seen it on a small screen so maybe like saw it for the first time a couple of years ago and then second time last night oh wow that's cool yeah yeah um uh, yeah I was actually like I once was doing like a really like a research job and like for like half a day the Mm. guy was like we've got this like music video it's set in the future and there need to be like subway adverts can you like write some future subway adverts and so I was like writing down like ideas and one of them was like um was like oh maybe like the common cold will be eradicated but people will want to like you want to feel it for nostalgia okay so like you can like take a capsule or something and he was like did you get that from antiviral and I was like what's antiviral so um, ah, so yeah it. I think um I think yeah so like I think maybe quite soon after that I watched it because yeah I kind of I, I was really intrigued by the idea yes 
It's, 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 a, it's a pretty good film to watch post-pandemic, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God, yes, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it's had a resurgence in the last year or so. I think mm. it has. Like A lot of the reviews I saw online were from this year and people mm-hmm. talking about COVID. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I, it, I felt so funny like watching it post-COVID, like with all the kind of references to how a virus behaves and, you know, the body is a host for the virus. I'm like, oh my God, enough already, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. have a COVID fatigue, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I think, I think it's really clever. Um, it kind of made me think a little bit of, um, so you know how we talked previously on the podcast um, about my name change and, I, and you know, yeah. um, and how, what kind of what prompted it in a way. And I was saying that it wasn't so much that it was like um, wanting to be someone else. It was more a, a, a statement about identification of what already is occurring, you know? Yeah. Like what you already have within you that you can kind of recognize that you can bring out. Yeah, like you can, yeah, you can bring out or you can really strongly relate to. You Mm -hmm. can feel some aspect of their, the persona that they project or that you already feel some aspect of their suffering as well. So I, that's why I like this movie because I feel like I, I can understand the impulse to have an identification with an ex with someone on the outside external to my own reality mm-hmm. and because they talk about like expressing that desire to unite with the celebrities through biological communion with them mm-hmm. how it's as if by sharing this sickness with a celebrity it it, it it's some kind of I don't know, it's almost like some sort of like mystical experience or spiritual experience where you can have that thing in common that binds you. So mm-hmm. it, it, so it sort of eliminates that distance that you might, you might naturally have from them. It brings you together because you're suffering in the same way. Yeah, it's and actually very romantic. It's very romantic. Like th- mm-hmm. I feel like antiviral is truly a love story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it kind of is it kind of is you're right um I was actually thinking that um like as I was watching it I was thinking I would love to see it recut as like um a romantic comedy you know how like they do um they the do trailers. like trailers yeah I was just like that would be so good to like have like a goofy voiceover about him like you know like starting out like you know, like so far from the celebrities that he like works with and then like ending up kind of as like this in like communion with like a star. Yeah. It's it's really, um, it's like Notting Hill. It's like creepy Notting Hill. It's creepy Notting Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's just a young lab technician standing in front of a movie star. (laughs) Standing in front of a cell garden. (laughs) exactly whoa if yeah. we have any editors out there can they please like recut antiviral with oh the Notting Hill God. like a voiceover trailer <laughs> like the please. hilarity that will ensue from that it will be, will be endless truly for sure yeah that, yeah you're right like this is a kind of really warped 
I mean, it's funny because you said he could have gone down the line of doing rom-coms, you know, as a kind of defiance from his dad. Yeah. He's and not that maybe far he off. Has. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> this is his rom-com, you know, this yeah. is his love story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was even really weirded out when I found out that there's a company called Bite Labs that sells celebrity steaks. Is there? In real yeah, life? Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether this is a hoax. I knew about this back in the day when I started teaching this film, like soon after I had seen it. Um, it is a thing. and They have a website, Bite Labs, Eat Celebrity Meat. Bite Labs grows meat from celebrity tissue samples and uses it to make artisanal salami. Oh, my God. <laughs> it does say um, on Time magazine, Bite Labs, making salami out of famous people is probably a hoax. But it doesn't I know. say that it definitely is. That's the thing. Um, I, I, for a while, I thought, OK, this is just like a joke or like a viral campaign. But they've been going for years. <laughs> That's so strange. Would they you eat celebrity meat? Um, would I eat celebrity? Um, I, I, I'm tempted to say no, because that's the right answer. You know, <laughs> that's the moral answer. <laughs> I don't want the right answer, Mary. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's like, it's disgusting to think because I don't want to be like, I, I, I really don't want to be a cannibal, you know, but, but it's not cannibalism if it's grown for if it's like just clones of their cells. That's true. That's um, true. Because isn't there like a lot of lab grown meat? You know, I've actually would really like to try it um like because they're like saying yeah. that's the solution to like the um the terrible effect that farming has on the yeah. environment is to like grow all the meat in the lab that's um, right like it it's being presented as a very sensible like pro-environment solution yeah. yeah so it's actually like very green and very c- conscious you know um but so okay the i think the only person's celebrity steak that I would be tempted to try is like I don't know like Lars von Trier or something someone mm-hmm. I'm really obsessed with or maybe would... like maybe Heath Ledger I don't know it's sad he died but maybe it's okay if the celebrity's dead <laughs> <laughs> it's weirder if they're like still living that's true yeah you're right because if there's dead then there's it makes more sense doesn't it because you yeah you miss them it's kind of like melancholy it's like it's like the theory of melancholia you know freud in his paper on melancholia he said um the melancholic individual wants to reincorporate the lost object yeah. by devouring it and like i think there's something like that's totally understandable but there's something sinister about devouring a still living person exactly because they're still like, there <laughs> yeah because it's like you want to steal something from them like some kind of life force or something and it's like i don't know i don't, I don't think that's yeah nice. or even it's just being greedy it's like look they're still here you know yeah exactly like you can like it's that whole thing of like um it's kind of like like masturbating to their photograph when they're like, right next to you or something it's like excuse me like oh my god um it's the same thing isn't it like it's, it's like you can, why don't you just go out and enjoy the like that person's work like <laughs> but, like rather than sitting and eating them in a restaurant it's so strange um oh so yeah god, i think like so there's true. i think there's healthy ways and unhealthy ways of consuming people and i think like maybe that would be like psychologically it would be okay to eat dead, like a dead person but not a living person yeah, I think you. I think that's it. You nailed it. I think that yeah. is the correct demarcation that has to happen. Mm-hmm. The reason why you want to eat their ce- celebrity steak is because they're no longer with us. So it's yeah. it is 
kind of like a religious ritual almost. I mean, that's literally what they do in Catholicism. Exactly. So like, that's fine. That's cool. And also I wouldn't want to tempt the fates, you know, by eating Lars von Trier's steak. That's, yeah. you know, I want him around for a very long time, you know? <laughs> yeah, same. Um, it's so funny, you know, speaking of him, because last uh, few days ago, whenever it was, um, you know, when England played against Denmark yes. in the Euros, um, I, I turned to Paul and I'm like, I wonder if Lars von Trier is watching, you know, I wonder <laughs> if he's like rooting for <laughs> For Denmark to win the game, I'd like to think of him as being in a ha- in a happy, content place where he would be wanting to do that, just for like a laugh, you know. Yeah. So I really, truly hope that he did watch and that he wasn't too disappointed when they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't watched any of the football yet, but I guess I'll watch the final tomorrow because it's yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty important. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty historic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, well, by the time this is released, the football will be like in the past. Ooh. Oh, that's true. So we're, yeah, so we are still living in a time where we don't know who won the Euros. Oh, how strange. Ooh. Oh, well. I know. <laughs> who do you think is going to win? Well, I'd like England to win, you know, mm-hmm. but I just feel like sometimes teams like Spain and Italy, they get quite dramatic. I just hope that doesn't mean that that's how they win. That's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. That's, that's I don't really like the histrionics of football is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't like people diving and things like that. So, um, well, frankly, that's, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I I only watched two games in this Euros. I mean, I don't really follow football. I just happened to be in the same room because Paul was watching, and I like the way the England players handle themselves. Yeah, they seem like a really nice well. team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very nice is the key, I think. Like, yeah, really, really sweet. Like got the popular opinion behind them as well because they're just nice guys. They're nice guys and they're like brothers together. They're like looking out for each other. Yeah, exactly. That's a cool thing. Yeah. So for that reason, I hope they win. And, you know, um, they deserve it. They played really well. Yeah. And like collectively, they've done much more for the country this year than politicians. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yes. A resounding yes to that. Um, For sure. But we'll see. I'm kind of intrigued. Um, I never, ever thought I'd talk about football. Um, I know, especially on this podcast. Let's exactly. get antiviral. <laughs> that, that's an interesting segue, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like B- Bite Lab. So um, it could be a total hoax, could be an actual artisanal salami. I'm kind of interested in trying it now. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Um, but I'm more kind of, I love that line from the movie, you know, biological communion from her cells to your cells. Mm. And it kind of made me think a little bit about long distance relationships where you have to come up with a strategy to be together. Mm. And the idea of also cells multiplying and the double, the doubling aspect of that, you know, it's kind of all very interesting to me. I don't know if I have like a fully formed take on antiviral because it does get a little bit complicated yeah it does it is quite hard to follow um what like when you originally thought of it for the transformation Mm. what was your reasoning so my reasoning for that was in a way like the invocation of the other person into you a lot of the times we see the double as being a sinister thing in cinema you know i'm uh, going back to Otto rank in his 
uh, ethological research on the double, he said that, you know, he could see a really pronounced shift from formerly when the double was like seen as a positive thing, a guardian angel, you know, Mm -hmm. something, a good positive omen to suddenly a stark change where the double was now like a harbinger of death or something terrible is going to happen to you because you've seen someone who looks like you or your shadow or mirrors breaking, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So now to have a film like this where people are actively invoking a doubling, where Mm. they are seeking out a situation of a shared experience through sickness makes me think that it's sort of an attempt at a a positive spin on the double and that how that then helps you to transform as a person because you've had that shared communion, you know, that biological communion with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't see this as a terrible dystopian vision of the future. I I know this may be like an unpopular opinion, but I actually think that maybe antiviral is a story about obsessive fandoms. (laughs) Yeah, I think definitely. You know, Um, and like maybe that's a positive thing that we get, that we could become so fixated on some, someone that on, even on, on, on some chemical or physical level, it changes us. And we are, we are willing to even share in their suffering. And, and I think that to me, it seems like a good thing. Well, I think like it does like feelings like that, they do aid transformation because you know like I think either like both obsession and like in a way like disgust or envy or like looking down on someone or being annoyed with someone Mm. like it's the same thing like all of these feelings are like indicate something about yourself that you want like some kind of desire Mm -hmm. I think like whenever I've been like obsessed with I don't usually I don't think I've been obsessed with celebrities but whenever I've been like obsessed with the love interest Mm -hmm. um like my like therapist that I've had at the time being like what do you think it is about them like what does what what does that quality have to do with you you wow. know like I think it's a really interesting always really interesting to kind of consider like what it is that you maybe like are keeping from yourself or like not allowing yourself to be mm-hmm. that you kind of like seek it so much in others wow. um, and I think that this is a really interesting film about I don't know if it just felt that way to me because as I told you before, I'm doing that astrology course on the second, sixth and 10th houses, which are all houses to do with like aspects of work. Mm -hmm. Um, And like some of the things that I'm finding out about my house placements, I was initially a little bit like disappointed by um, or like, you know, and I had to sort of work and figure out like why I was kind of rejecting these innate things in myself that like I do relate to, but like, why would I? why would I kind of reject them? So they were things to do with like creativity or like spirituality and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why can't I just be good at making money? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. um, and I, so I think maybe partly because of having that experience, I really thought that there was like this interesting thing about what you've been talking about a lot over this series, which is like accepting and then incorporate, like accepting your desires um, or like your, the things like your kind of shameful desires and then like incorporating them into your personality. Mm. Um, And I think that's kind of what happens here. Like, you know, he's a, he's a guy who works in this industry that he kind of, he kind of like acts like he, he's not really got like a personal interest in. So, but like, why else is he working there? You know, like, so it's very much like, this is his job. He does this like he's he's kind of dedicated to money he's selling the he's like you know injecting these 
illnesses and then selling them on the black market he's got like a you know kind of a life that is like very much kind of like quite an unsentimental one and then I think like the whole process of the film it kind of like enables him to get to grips with this thing that he's hiding from himself which is like his his deep love for these celebrities like one in particular yeah Hannah Geist Hannah Geist like I think that um like the transformation is him sort of realizing like the this like maybe this like love that or like obsession that he was kind of ashamed of or didn't want to admit Mm -hmm. and then like really fully like embodying it by the end of the film wow um yeah that's kind of what I took I like that I was well I was just like what does Mary think about transformation in this film so I was trying to like think of what it was and so wow um but yeah that is what I kind of came up with that he's you know I was like who like who is he and what is he like why is and there is stuff like that you know like Malcolm McDowell says to him you know you didn't you didn't have to inject like your her blood into you you chose to do that that's right and I guess his like his conscious motivation was to get this black market illness before his competition did so that he could be paid for it because he's doing this like work getting sick and not being paid for it but there's obviously this like there's like he has this kind of idea of these conscious motivations which are money mainly Mm -hmm. and a kind of career success but you know there's there's like a reason like an unconscious reason that he is working there that he does do those things that he did inject that blood in and that you know and that he is like kind of hold and then that he's like holding on to that illness without telling anyone that's right um and it's and so I think it's just about someone yeah like really having like this desire that they're buried that they've buried down that they don't think is like an attractive part of their personality or don't think is like worthy of them yeah and then kind of accepting accepting that part of them and like enjoying it which is the only way you can really like accept parts of yourself that you previously didn't really like mm, you know yeah so at the end of it, sure. he's like he's really you know he's like the one he's you know it's just like he's it's like he's in this kind of strange marriage with this like cell garden that is like the remains of oh my guys. god it's so weird and he's like suckling from her <laughs> oh. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, in a way, he's just kind of accepted like what he wants, I think. Wow, that is so true. He's sort of like no longer running away from it. He's yes. he's fully uh, embraced it. Yeah, he has. Oh, and, yeah. And like you can see that as this really dark thing, that, like what he does to her in the end. But on the other hand, she is dying anyway. Yeah, so, she's dying. Like, and he's just like enabling everyone to be able to like, <laughs> like continue her memory on and on forever her afterlife her afterlife yeah oh my god um, yeah that is so interesting and it's so interesting I hadn't really connected it with the thing that he's lacking that he then is sort of projecting onto her yes but that is so true um yeah there is like because he's so good at his job yes and like you're not like you know as much as like I'm just just in my own experience of like wishing that I was like a high powered like you know person that could like talk the talk and walk the walk and do all these things Mm. like I have to accept like that I do the job I do for a reason and to stop like disparaging it yeah (laughs) yeah, you know and so it was just happened that I was dealing with that this week so that's what I could see in him that he was you know that he's like incredibly good at this job which is 
like evoking desire in yes. like to his to these customers you know yeah. because they are they're already there to buy it but like he really he really talks them into it mm-hmm. like in this way because and I think that's because he truly like feels that like deep down he truly feels that way himself yes you know like he truly believes in what he's selling yes and he does. as much as like you know I think he's maybe a bit ashamed of it and maybe you know he's like he he sort of like has that revulsion to the cannibal aspect of the meat and all of that. Mm. So he, like, he's got these two kind of conflicting things. One yeah. which is like really embracing this desire and the other one which is like really ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the film, he's just totally, he's just like a total convert to to just the desire, I suppose. It's kind of nice. I love that reading so much. That is, But that's really what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like I kept seeing... Uh, in the past assessments of antiviral as it being like a drug movie, like a, like an addiction movie, but that's not what this is. No, it's and really also, not. And I, I feel it's... like the, all the needles and stuff and the kind of secret behavior is a red herring because all the aesthetics point to like heroin use and stuff like that. Self-injection. Yeah. Whereas that's not what this is at all. It's a red herring. It's totally to do with desire. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also a red herring to say that it's like a judgment on celebrity worship. I agree. It's just too easy. You know, like... That's too easy. Like, you know, there is... Like, I just think there are those kind of moments where... Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're, they're like there's there's proper desire, like proper passion in those moments. Like in his words, when he like explains what's happening to the to the clients, mm-hmm. and that beautiful like that beautiful boy that comes in for the herpes virus. Oh yeah, he's like he's just so beautiful and like you know so and it's like such an erotic scene when he gets injected into his lip. So yes, yeah, he's being uh, penetrated. Yeah, exactly. It's just it, and yeah, like that's that that's so interesting as well. That like kind of subversion of genders or mm-hmm. like gender roles, mm-hmm. um, and that's what Martin McDowell says, doesn't? Isn't it like he, we're all like everyone's female, and the host and the virus is that's male, right. um, which is obviously very Cronenberg uh, senior ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is so true. Okay, so in light of that, I have a question then about. Um, cause you know, like the owner of the company mm-hmm. when he's being questioned by a, a journalist on TV and he's like talking about celebrity culture, like, he's being questioned, you know, do these people deserve to be famous? Like, isn't this all just frivolous and stupid? And he's like, mm-hmm. anyone who is famous deserves it. And, yeah. um, we're all, it's actually a collaboration between them and us because we're bringing our desire to the table. Yes. Yeah. That I think that's of, the true yeah. that's the true thing message of the film. I think. Yeah, um, and that's so interesting, isn't it? Because um, that's like exactly what happens in Videodrome. Yes, um, like the char- one of the characters goes on TV to answer questions about like violence in that case, like that is sex so and violence. True. <laughs> but I wonder if that was a bit of a nod. That is so true. You're right because he's sort of put on the spot and having to justify his business. Yes. And actually, I think that's a really, I mean, both those films like are really relevant today because like everyone who makes a film suddenly has to justify it. Yes. You know, like what are you, what is it, in what way is it socially conscious? Um, oh my God. And it's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, it's all about <laughs> desire. It's not, no, you know, morally ambivalent. Like, I know. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's a lot there. There's, so there's a lot there. there. I love how you put that. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg, by the way, is a Capricorn. 
interesting. So a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Diligent well that, guy. Well, that's interesting as well because, like, you know, they're very work-focused. Work yes. And I wonder if he, like, you know, both of these films, actually, that we're talking about, they do have... Like there's definitely definitely stuff about like the world of work and thriving oh, yeah, at sure. work and loving what you do, and you know being exploited. So I wonder if that was on his mind as well. Yeah, like, yeah. that's so true. But also, you know, he's uh, he's a young filmmaker. You know, this is his debut film, antiviral. This is his debut feature film, and of course, he would have heard loads of people comparing him to his dad. You know, mm-hmm. um, and he probably has had to come to terms with people saying that he's living in his dad's shadow. Yeah. Now I personally don't believe that to be true at all. I think he's his own director. Of course there's similarities. There seem to be some shared interests there, but I think he has his own vision. Definitely. So, and, and, but to arrive at that, you would have, he would have had to work hard for sure. Well, that's so interesting because we've got two directors in this series who are struggling with the doubles of their fathers. Yes. Um, who have this like shadow of like this kind of yeah this like shadow of like paternal talent yeah. to work under so that's kind of interesting that we chose them for the double I know um, again another happy accident yeah definitely yeah of course Duncan Jones um, probably having to deal with the similar things yeah, yeah. it's interesting because David Cronenberg uh, is a Pisces <laughs> So I think it's happened the right way around, you know, (laughs) with him being so kind of experimental and like um, free flowing with his ideas and kind of having emotional license to do whatever he wanted to do. That's funny because it was having Pisces in the second house that made me go, oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. I I don't want to be any more creative and spiritual. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> wait so can i just so it's the second sixth and tenth houses right second, that are important sixth and tenth yeah because okay i'm just looking at my chart right now i can't believe it second house sagittarius Ooh, interesting sixth house aries Ooh. and then tenth house leo they're all fire signs oh my god that's amazing that's, that's crazy really exciting that's insane i can't believe that um that's really interesting wow you definitely definitely sold me this course i have to do it yes oh yeah for anyone interested it's um, astrology for artists uh the course is called your mark in the world Um, wow madeline who runs it is like a very very gifted astrologer and i've had fun i've had a lot of fun at her courses before and this is an online course so you can do it from your bed um but you need it's not you're not going to get it done in a day like there's a lot of like writing exercises and like prompts and things like that that you so you like work through it quite slowly so I'm like kind of halfway through the sixth house now so it's about halfway through so I haven't really got wow. to my tenth house um but I think my tenth house is Scorpio so it's my mood it's my son so oh, wow. it's gonna be kind of interesting that's very cool yeah 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 oh nice <laughs> that's so that's so interesting um but yeah I think just another kind of um, interesting link here for me between antiviral and black swan, actually, it's not just that they're both body horror films, 
But I also have another interesting London Film Festival story for Black Swan. Amazing. Do you want to go? Should we move on to Black Swan so you can tell? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Okay. Tell me your story and then I'll synopsize. Okay. So uh, I saw the trailer for Black Swan six months before the film premiered in the UK in the London Film Festival, counting down the days until I could see this movie. London Film Festival 2010. I couldn't get a ticket because it sold out in a flash. So I had no public ac- screening to, you know, access to it. Um, I was told you can seat fill or you can go to the press screening. So sure enough, Friday morning, it was a Friday morning in October, October 20th, 2010. <laughs> I stood in line at 930 in the morning and it was this queue that stretched to practically like Covent Garden. Oh How many gosh. people? in Leicester Square, you know, from Leicester Square. It was insane how many people were in that queue and they were all press. And by some miracle, I got in, but I was like in the front, front row. And I was sitting next to this film influencer guy called, I think his blog was called Phil on Film. I feel like I've met that guy. Yeah? (laughs) Maybe, I'm not sure. Like that just really rang a bell. You would have come across him for sure. Like he's kind of around a lot. Anyway, the film starts and I am gripped like I am in some weird trance like psychedelic experience uh there's like tears running down my face the entire time (laughs) and I just remember Phil like leaning in and going listen are you okay like (laughs) (laughs) like I didn't care that I was in a room full of these like serious like film journos I was having some kind of like I don't know. It was just bizarre. It was, I can't even put it into words. I got so obsessed. I, I, I ran out of the theater into Leicester Square and I was like, this, that was like mind blowing. It was so good. And then I somehow snuck into three more screenings in that very same festival. So within a matter of three days, I saw it four times. Oh my God, that's amazing. Wow. And then when it finally released in January, so like this is a couple months later, I went and saw it 10 times at the cinema. Oh my God. So you know it like inside out. Inside out. I mean, by the 10th screening, I have to say it was actually painful because I knew every line. I knew every scene by heart. I'd already seen it 14 times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't, a, I have to say, it was, it was very much a case of jouissance, you know, like I was in pain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um. But then I also remember, because I kept going back with a different friend. At the time, I was, this was before I met Paul as well. So I had, sometimes I would go out on, on dates and like people I met online and I'd be like, so they'd be like, so what do you want to do? I'm like, hey, do you want to see a movie called Black Swan? Like, <laughs> Amazing. Like then not even knowing that I'd already seen it like eight times or something. And that would be a pretty good measure of whether or not I want to have a second date, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think it is definitely a film that, like, I would definitely want to rewatch it, like, whenever I can. Like, I never don't feel like watching Black Swan. I know. Like, in fact, I actually, my flatmate was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, well, I have to either watch Antiviral or Black Swan. And she was like, I don't feel like either of those. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I mean, fair enough about Antiviral, but Black Swan, yeah. really? Like, if someone, any, if someone was like, hey, do you feel like sitting down and watching Black Swan? I'd be like, yeah, of course. For sure. Um... Because, yeah, I could watch that again and again with no problem. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was, this movie is sublime. Um, 
at the time, the guy, the I think he's still there, the operations director at Cur- at uh, Curzon, um, he knew I was obsessed. He was a friend of mine. And he gave me, so, you know, you've seen my poster, my Black, yeah. my Black Swan poster, which is a limited edition Art Deco design for the release of the film. There's like only, I think, something like a thousand made. Oh, that's amazing. And he gave it, he gave me one framed for my birthday. It was so sweet. That's so nice. That's so, so lovely. Nice. Yeah, it's adorable. A really nice gift. I mean, if there's a fire, that's what I'm taking with me. Like I'm taking my poster and running out into the street. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, tell me about your first viewing of this film. Um, I went with my flatmate at the time. We were living mm. in Turnpike Lane. It was horrible, this horrible house in Turnpike Lane with cockroaches. Oh. Um, and so we went to the Wood Green, like Odeon or Cineworld or whatever it is, yeah. which is like where I also went to see, I think, like I would tend to see a couple of horror movies there because the only thing you can, because like the audience is like so... Um, <laughs> energetic okay. at the wood green cinema that you ha- can only really go and see horror there because like you can't like <laughs> concentrate through anything else but I just like I just I, I and I went to see it like blind I had no idea what it was going to be because I wasn't like okay I think I'd seen the f- the fountain and not really loved it sure um and I don't think and then I hadn't and I you know that I very much have not watched um Requiem for a Dream Mm -hmm. because I can't do heroin addicts Mm -hmm. um so um so yeah I I have no idea what I guess I guess like there was a lot of buzz yeah and I knew like something about it but I really didn't know anything of what I was in for and I just had a great time Mm -hmm. like you know I was really like proud of myself because I was just getting into horror at that time like having been like a really scaredy cat teenager and so I was really proud of myself that I saw something quite scary at the cinema without even realizing it was going to be scary (laughs) but there were like a couple of there's like a few jump scares that I was like oh my god um and yeah I just absolutely loved it I couldn't stop talking about it especially the scene where she tries to masturbate and then realizes her mum's in the room (laughs) I was like oh my god that's an amazing scene like whoever thought of that is just a genius (laughs) yeah and then yeah apart after like gradually I've just kind of come to think yeah I can't think of another film made in the 2000s that is as as great in every way you know like it just like gradually I've just kind of come to realize that it wasn't just like a, gr- a great film that I had fun watching at the cinema, but there was like, it's it incredibly meaningful in so many ways. So, wow. yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I think it's definitely my favorite film of the last 20 years, mm-hmm. very closely followed by Joker, but I feel like they're very similar. Yeah. Um, but I was quite like a avid follower of Aronofsky before I saw Black Swan. So I had seen, um, I loved Pi, like when I was at university, I discovered it. Mm-hmm. Or was I, I had just started university and I, I had just released. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, there's, it just completely blew my mind. And then I really, I really loved Requiem for a Dream, even though, my God, it is fucking harrowing. <laughs> yes. Like, it is like it's truly disturbing you know and every imaginable way you can think of it is just like soul destroying and devastating but I did like the style like I love the editing I love the cast and you know there's so many there's so much good about it you know um I love the music of course Clint Mansell I mean he he Clint Mansell collaborated so often with Aronofsky they make such a good team together 
he wrote the music for Black Swan as well. He adapted it from Tchaikovsky. I just love this director so much and I still do. Like I'm one of his kind of diehard fans. And you know what I was thinking? Because you know, like Barbara Hershey in the movie, Mm. her mom, I feel like she's like the OG, like that meme about girl bosses, gatekeeping and gaslighting. Oh, yes. I feel like she's the ultimate girl boss who does that. Do you think so? Only because she obviously was a ballerina herself and then she retired to have Nina. Mm -hmm. And the way that she treats her own daughter, like she really gatekeeps her, you know, like she really makes sure that she's only allowed to go a certain distance, not just in her career, but like as a woman. Yes. And she also really like denies her experience. Like she totally like gaslights her emotions. I suppose that I, I just kind of feel sorry for her, <laughs> like in the for, same way that for the for the mother. Yeah. Like in the same way that I would feel. So I, we were discussing um like sweat earlier and talking about like feeling sorry for like the stalker. <laughs> like <laughs> in that same way, I just kind of feel like, um yeah, I mean, she's like such a malevolent presence. She's also just so, I don't know, so like deeply unhappy, you know, like when she's like painting and crying. And, and then I was also like wondering if like, I know like you obviously you're supposed to think that um Nina's like being kind of kept by the apron strings mm-hmm. um but do you think it's also like a very subtle thing about like um like ballerinas don't get paid very much wow um because I don't know why I just suddenly was like after like 14th watch of this film or whatever it is I was suddenly I guess I've been thinking a lot about like films um and what they say about like finances and economics recently and mm-hmm. yeah I wonder if um like there is because there is like a lot in there about like the kind of exploited exploitation of like ballerinas yeah um so yeah I wonder if there's also this idea of like you are kind of like a perpetual child if you do mm-hmm. a job like that because you can't like gain independence financially which I think is true. Like if you're like in a company and you're not dancing a lead role, then I think you're not very, you're not paid very much. That's true. Um, but yes. They're sort of infantilized, aren't they? They are. Like, and they are like, they have to stay like very thin and very like youthful. Yes. Um, so. Like prepubescent. Prepubescent. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like, they're so, like their boobs have to be really small. Like their hips mm. have to be really small. I mean, I think it's changing now. Like you definitely get like bigger like differently shaped ballerinas sure um but like for a long time I think it was really like people would just like be cut from that profession just because they hit puberty wrongly you know so I don't know wow yeah yeah for sure I mean um because again I mean talking of red herrings before like I think that um a lot of what we're seeing in Black Swan you know the kind of fear of the understudy you know someone who of course I mean it makes perfect sense why you in a live performance you would have an understudy you know you Mm -hmm. have to have a contingency plan right if something goes wrong yeah so the idea of being terrified of someone who might replace you which seems to have happened with the Beth McIntyre character played by Winona Ryder yeah I think that the fear of replacement is a red herring only if you're doing the work that you're doing because you're concerned about your status within that organization. Yes. That's, that's the only time where the terror of being replaced will actually be a material fear that you should logically have. 
And yes, I think, you know, Beth McIntyre did have that fear because I think she was attached to the role of dance company star for very kind of ego motivated reasons. Mm-hmm. Like she really wanted to be the little princess, you know, which is what Tomat calls her. It's so gross. Yeah, it's super gross. Like um, it's no more infantilizing, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, she 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 actually clung to that identity as being his little princess. But I I don't believe that's Nina's concern. Like no. Nina's concern is that she wants to completely embody the black swan, even becoming a, an actual animal, like an actual bird, you know? To that degree. Like that's how she's an extremist. This girl is not interested in climbing up in the, in, in the hierarchy of a dance company, you know? <laughs> she's mm-hmm. it's not just that she's a perfectionist because I think even at the beginning like she want she practices all her codas, you know, and she she she's she's like a real obs- I mean she truly is like a work machine. Like she is constantly in front of the mirror dancing and correcting herself and repeating and like even like injuring her body while she does that. Mhm. But of course, the guy, Thomas, says you can't achieve that kind of perfection of what's required from you to play the swan queen just by sheer repetition. You have to do something else. You have to surrender into your role and let it kind of transform you. And that's how you seduce the audience. The Odile's coda, which is what she struggles with, is um, like when that actually happens and you can see that she believes she's even growing feathers. Yeah. Um, to me, that is such a, that for me is the highest, it's like the apex, the highest point on the mountain that I see of the double of where you can achieve a total empowered, um, manifestation of the thing outside that you saw. And you've now like somehow conjured it up through your body and you are that thing that you wanted. You, you, the doubling is this like spiritual nirvana and it's okay that you're even like psychotic it doesn't matter it's okay that you're even dead Mm -hmm. you got to to climb that mountain you were the black swan you know (laughs) and when she is injured and you can see like I mean it's obviously repeating the same pattern as William Wilson you know she stabbed she thought she was stabbing Lily but she stabbed herself Mm-hmm. and she's bleeding from her abdomen and she's like lying down on the floor everyone is like worried They're like oh my god Nina are you okay and she's like she doesn't give a fuck about that she's like I'm gonna die right here now in this second but I was perfect you know yeah I was the black swan like obviously different strokes for different folks that might not be an <laughs> ideal for some people but I look at that and I think that's so beautiful yeah it really is beautiful and it is actually really subversive yeah. as well that kind of like those extremes um because I think like what happened to Beth is like that she I mean obviously like this whole thing about like the black and the white swan mm. um like and even just like the insistence like when Thomas is like you know like it's like my black swan we're gonna like my swan like we're gonna you know strip <laughs> it down we're gonna have like the same dancer play both parts it's like that's always what they do in black swan like <laughs> the first performance ever of Black Swan, they had the same dancer play both parts. Exactly. Like, that is not new. No. Like, 
and so I think that's such an interesting like conceit like throughout the film which is like when feminism reinvents itself and it's mm-hmm. like you know what now we're going to be like in the boardroom you know what now <laughs> we're going to be like at, at like at strip clubs you know what now we're gonna it's like you know what shut up <laughs> like none of these things are new I think like Nina's really impressive to kind of withstand against this like pressure of like women having to be like all of these different things yeah and like Beth doesn't manage to withstand that pressure I think like at some point like I like to imagine that Beth was like a true artist Mm -hmm. but that she you know like felt that it was also like that whole little princess thing is so like it's actually such a disgusting thing to call someone that you're fucking which I think is like kind of implied that's what's happening like it's like such a lie to like have to like know someone like as like a mature sexual woman and then to like in public call give them this like little girl's name I know because it's like totally like what you said about um breakups before like before we were recording Mm -hmm. like not allowing someone to be themselves yeah um so like what's kind of been done to her is such a crime in that way because like Mm. she's she's not allowed to be like she's not allowed to just be like a true artist like undisturbed she also has to they clearly there's like clearly a lot of parts that they have to play Mm -hmm. as like so they have to like go to those parties and smile and they have to like make like donors part with their money and they have to like feed the ego of this like company director who thinks that he had like this new idea that he didn't and um (laughs) so yeah I think that that's really it's kind of like really subversive that Nina would do like all of these like bonkers extreme things that are like actually very unattractive and very separate because what he's saying really like when he's like perfection isn't about technique it's about like letting go mm-hmm. and like that is true but like what he's actually saying is like perfection is not about technique it's about me fancying you yeah um so yeah it's like it, it, you're right like I think it's really subversive and interesting that she just wants to be this part so badly yeah. that she like you know that she doesn't like mine like working her body to the bone and like becoming this kind of monster exactly um and yeah so yeah you're right all of these things like flying around are kind of red herrings although the things that the other women have succumbed to he's so like seduced by this like by lily as this like free spirit who's but like she's clearly not into like even at the performance you know she's like uh, making out with one of the male dancers oh, yeah. like, behind the wings, and like no, like no shade on Lily. Like she's an amazing character. But yeah, she's yeah. Not, she's not an artist. Like she's no, there no, to no. like meet boys and and like you know have fun. Yeah, and, do Molly like, and go to raves. Exactly, which is cool. That's, That's fine. So cool, but she's not like a. Tr- she's not an artist in that way. No, because no, she's not no. like dedicating herself completely to it. No. She wants. She wants like life, which is probably the healthier thing. Like <laughs> you know, she's like. She's much happier than anyone else in the film, you know? For sure. She's having a great time. Exactly. But yeah, I love your reading of Black Swan. It is actually really true feminism, kind of. Like, just like total individualism, you know? Like, I'm going to embody this part. And... Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Like, but also, like... I'm going to grow it out of my body. Yeah. Like I'm going to pull it out physically from my body. I mean, it's so, it's so antithetical to what ballet is supposed to be because it's ballet is this big, like illusion because actually Aronofsky said it best because he said that when he was growing up, his sister was a ballerina, you know, she went to ballet school. So he was often as a kid around these girls who were really punishing their bodies Mm-hmm. And there was so much competition and like hostility that obviously is like 
promoted by the dance company or the or the artistic director for various reasons, you know? Um, it's sort of those dancers are encouraged to relate to themselves that way because it's they see it as being healthy for the performance. Mm-hmm. And he just always thought it was so funny that when you go to see a ballet performance as an audience member, what you're seeing on the stage looks so like light and ethereal and magical. But behind the scenes, there's girls with like split toes and like a broken back and an eating disorder and popping pills for the pain and Mm. you know there there's broken bones and there's tons of makeup covering up the 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 unevenness in the skin you know what you're seeing on the stage is a total illusion and he really wanted to emphasize the horror element of what you what, what performers do to punish themselves for the sake of embodying an ideal that they truly believe in, like they have faith in. It's almost like religious. That's why I do think like Black Swan should more often than not be viewed as a companion piece to The Wrestler, his uh, Aronofsky's yeah. previous film, like the one he released two years prior. When he was first working on The Wrestler, he wanted it to be like, he wanted to combine his ideas for Black Swan in the same movie as The Wrestler. Oh, that's interesting. He had it in his mind that the Mickey Rourke character was actually dating a ballerina. So we actually see the contrasting worlds of the kind of high art of ballet versus the kind of ridiculous world of of professional wrestling. But he then realized that it was too complex to combine both in one movie. So he separated them. So actually, the wrestler and and Black Swan are doubles of each other. That's oh, that's how so he... interesting. I'm so glad he didn't do that, though. Like, I know. Made two movies. <laughs> I know. I would have had like an aneurysm if he had done that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Or it just would have been a mess, like really, really hard to follow. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. It would have been too chaotic. Yeah. But I mean, in the end, his, you know, Mickey Rourke's partner and the wrestler is a, an exotic dancer. You know, yeah. she's, a, she's a stripper. So it, there is still some dancing element there. It's just not it's not ballet. Um, but he was very adamant about showing in Black Swan that the pain and suffering that appears on the body of the ballerina is not for the faint of heart, but it's really for people who are committed on this spiritual quest. It's like an odyssey. And that physical embodiment of the role that they're performing, they're extracting it from this place that is a combination of what they've been told the black swan is and what they physically feel it to be that it's coming out of them, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. It's like this invasion, you know, something coming over you. So he did also have ideas about it being almost like demonic possession somehow. You know, he said he was really interested in Rosemary's Baby as a big in- inspiration for the film. I mean, obviously also repulsion, you know? Yeah. Um, but of course there's lots of ballet film references in there, the red shoes, Suspiria, et cetera, et cetera. But I like that he had the Polanski reference because that's the real paranoid schizo stuff. That's really important for a journey to transform in this way, because on some level you got to be fucking nuts, (laughs) you know, Yeah. to, to put yourself, I mean, I say that with the utmost affection, by the way, when I say nuts, I, I don't mean it in a disparaging way. I say it like you've got to be, you've got to have like balls of steel, heart on fire, laser vision. You don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about you 
but you also have to be prepared to lose your mind. But something really interesting and, and powerful awaits you when you get there. That's that's the promise. And it's fulfilled in Black Swan, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, honestly, like, I'll never forget when um, I heard this story about a screening of Black Swan in Latvia. And um, it was just like a regular movie theater and... <laughs> There was one of the people in the audience, like one of the attendees, felt that another punter was being too loud, like crunching on their popcorn. So he shot her dead. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yeah. Can you believe that? And I remember at the time, like, that's really tragic. And it's terrible that someone was killed under those circumstances. But I do remember at the time my friends kept sending me that story because they're like, that, that could be you. You know, you would be the person to shoot someone That's... in a screening of Black Swan because people are not being respectful. <laughs> <you know? laughs> that is so interesting. That's like, isn't there something about a string of like shootings called the My Way murders? Oh, and they okay. it's basically like violence erupts when people choose my way as their karaoke song and it like pisses <laughs> everyone off like to such an extent that like outbreaks of violence happen and there's like there's like a wikipedia page wow. for it and it's not like an organized thing like there's just like a spate of killings related to the karaoke version of my way oh my god that is insane hang on i'm gonna find out where it is is, so that is it the philippines say. it is the philippines yes oh yeah i think i've heard about this um, the my way killings yes um social phenomenon oh. in the philippines referring to a number of fatal a number of fatal disputes which arose during the singing of the song my way popularized <laughs> by frank sinatra in karaoke bars how strange that is so fascinating to me um so maybe there's black swan murders maybe like yes. that was that's not an isolated incident you just never know in a way it kind of makes sense that a movie that is so intense r- representing this kind of obsessive person who who is only living for this purpose they have no other reason to live literally they're so dedicated it would make sense that it attracts the type of person who's relating to the character who comes to the cinema and they also feel very passionately you know yeah, it made it, it just made me laugh because you know there was so much talk when Joker was released that there was going to be like a spate of uh, mass killings that the movie would inspire, but it's actually Black Swan, you know, ca- <laughs> inspiring people to murder in the cinema. Um, that is so crazy, like the popcorn <laughs> thing. It's not even like it's it's a quiet film, you know, yeah. like it's quite a loud film. It's not like you could really. It's not like there's no soundtrack and it's all just like ambient sounds. It's not like going to see like an Andrea Arnold film sure. or something. So it's really odd. How are you even hearing people crunching on their popcorn? God I knows. mean, terrible way to die. But like, do remember it becoming a meme in my own life because people kept being like, you know. Don't sit too close to the popcorn muncher. Like, oh my god! Well, we're lucky that Phil survived. <laughs> like, yeah, shout out to Phil on film yeah, for basically escape. like being my carer in yeah. my very first, <laughs> my very first screening of Black Swan. That was an amazing experience. Like, I felt like I had taken like a big old bag of acid or something. You know, it was amazing. It is a really interesting movie to end on with the with the double because it is really like an apotheosis of so much that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, with the fear of being replaced, with thinking you've seen yourself, you know, like 
the, the little camera tricks of like or editing tricks of Aronofsky replacing their faces having almost someone else to relate to that is very similar to you I mean I think this film is like littered with references like definitely definitely like people are always finding stuff in it like with they compare it to a lot to Perfect Blue as well that anime film oh yeah mm. for sure for sure I think Aronofsky bought the rights to that didn't he oh really yeah yeah so Aronofsky bought the rights to Perfect oh, Blue yeah I did hear that I did hear a that. long time ago actually bef- even before Requiem for a Dream because there's some scenes in that that are similar to, to Perfect Blue as well yeah, I yeah, if for he sure. Still owns the rights to that. Does that mean if I want to screen it, I have to email Darren Aronofsky? Do these things run out? Are they like on a time interval with owning rights? I have no idea. I guess so, but I don't. I think like you can buy options and things, which isn't oh, like sure. that much money. So yeah, you could potentially just keep renewing and renewing. I don't know. But anyway, um, what else? I mean, I think your reading of Black Swan is like so perfect that there's not really much to add. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I didn't want to like, because I, I know that I'm an obsessive freak with this movie. So I, I hate to think that I've like completely dominated the, our, our dialogue about Black Swan, you know? Oh, not really, because I think like any kind of like um, superficial reading is so easy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's about like, you know, for competition and fear of replacement and all of that kind of thing. And yeah. then, and then, like your reading is like so subversive to that. So it's really nice to like know that those <laughs> things are kind of red herrings, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, like I'm like I'm really like I think that's lovely reading, and I think that's Aww. like a nice a nice thing to end on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It's been such a fun series. It's so nice to talk about the double and movies. Yeah, really nice. And I keep I swear, like I keep seeing it in places unexpectedly you know and think oh that's quite interesting it's very like doubling situation going on like in this show or even in this like song or performance or whatever yeah I love that the other day Um, (gasps) yes which is what a film such an amazing film we could have used it for our like one definitely could have used that for easily (laughs) lovely great film amazing film yeah do they have like a new film out or something? Uh, the, the the makers of Goodnight Mommy. Well, they did The Lodge. That's it. It was The Lodge. Sorry. Yeah, of um, course. But I desperately want to see it. But I promised, like, I just, it just hasn't been released here. Like, I don't know why, but it was in, it was in the film festival. And it I was. Yeah, wanted, that's where I saw it. Yeah. And I wanted to go and see it, but I could only, I couldn't go and see it on the same day as you. And I, yeah. I like, I don't know, me and my friend Millie really got into like wanting to see it. So I'd keep waiting for her to watch for it. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's just like never been released here. I can't um, believe that. And yeah, I, I'm being like really interested. And I keep, and I've like found a copy now, but oh, I have perfect. to wait until like Millie can come watch it with me. Um, but yeah, I really want to see it. It looked very scary. So, oh yeah yeah I mean yeah. yeah for sure I mean um it's Riley Q isn't it she's I love amazing. Riley Q anything oh she my does. god I know she's one of your faves she's she's really is dazzling in this yeah yeah she um, is my yeah fave. for sure I'm sure that whatever other series we do there will probably be another commentary that we can make on the double this is something that can keep coming back you know yeah um it's such an important thing in psychoanalysis, you know, and it does tend to like repeat itself <laughs> as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, given its feature. But it has been really cool to have like a dedicated space to to focus in on it. 
Yeah, definitely. I've really enjoyed yeah. the series and I'm enjoying whatever we'll, I'm yeah, enjoying thinking of options for whatever we'll do next. We'll definitely do a Twitter poll so you guys will get to choose what you, what we do next. Um, yeah, for sure. But first we're going to take a little break so that we can we're get some take rest. a little summer break. Yeah. Remember to go back and check in on previous episodes, previous series. We have a lot of stuff in our yeah, back catalog. Yeah, so much now. So, and like most of my friends are like several series behind. So, <laughs> like they'll catch up with this in like winter. For sure. Yeah. And thank you for all your donations. Like we, I know that some of you are still like actively donating on a regular basis. So we are very thankful for that. And if you feel you do want to make a donation, uh, you can do so by going on our website. Yeah, we're really grateful for all of that. And don't forget that now Mary has a Patreon. So if you oh. like feel like you're not getting enough content over the summer, like Mary, you can have some extra. Where <laughs> Thank you so Mary's much. Patreon. Thank you. And thanks to you, Sarah. Thank you for everything and for being my co-conspirator <laughs> <laughs> on Projections Podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh, no, love, you're not alone.